Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another edition of the Mickey Blog Podcast. I'm your host, Jared. As always, back for another episode. We release new episodes every single Friday. Joining me today is one of our biggest Mickey Blog contributors and uh, one of our top staff writers as well, David Mumpower, who has been on several episodes now. Um, I always get nice comments when David is on the podcast, so I'm very happy about that. I'm very happy he joined me for our first episode of the 2024 year. So pretty exciting. Uh, very excited to jump into this today. But a little background on David Mumpower. If you haven't heard one of the previous episodes he's been on, he has written over 10 million words about Disney over the past decade and is the author of Disney Demystified Volume 1 and Volume 2, as well as Behind the Ride. He's the chief content officer at Mickey Blog and the co-host of Streaming Into the Void podcast. He's also someone who has been quoted as subject matter expert in the film industry hundreds of times by sources like USA Today, CNN Money, and so forth. He's a Disney fan whose favorite movie is The Sword of the Stone and favorite ride is Spaceship Earth. Uh, those are two fun facts, um, you know, that I personally love the most. But regardless, uh, very excited to have David back on and for a film-centric episode because today we are talking about how Disney can bounce back at the box office in 2024 and sort of dominate the industry again. And we're also going to have a conversation about Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, Star Wars, and where, way, where they stand, and some of these other franchises, how Disney can bounce back to dominating the box office, which this year, well, sorry, a few days ago, previous year, 2023, was the first year since 2016 that they did not lead the industry in box office uh, gross. So having said all of that, David, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It's always a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Of course. So uh, we obviously previously discussed on the last episode you were on, if any of our listeners and viewers want to check that one out, we talked about uh, 2024 and everything that people can expect from Disney's perspective, whether, whether it was the business side of things or whether it was, uh, you know, the parks, the movies and so much more. But this episode is going to be focused on film specifically. And I know that's sort of mo most of your expertise, uh, I would say, um, beyond Spaceship Earth, obviously. Uh, but one of the things I wanted to talk about was 2024 slate of films. You know, Disney slate has sort of changed and been adjusted a little bit. Um, there's a pretty big gap here before they jump into the animation or the Marvel uh, world. Um, do you think this gap, this time off period that they're going to be taking really until June um, from the uh, theatrical world uh, is going to be beneficial to them? And and what sort of catches your eye the most from their 2024 slate of films? The wounds are self-inflicted would be what I would say first and foremost, which is that David Zaslav and Bob Iger had the same strategy. Zaslav is in charge of Warner Brothers Discovery, and he and Iger had the same issue. And the issue is that they were making – they were losing too much money on streaming, and they were making too much product to be losing that much money. So their strategy was, God help us all, to allow the writers and actors to strike so that they could improve their free cash flow, which is a terrible answer when we want to talk about movies, because I would much rather talk about all the genius of the flu actually winning the fight scene in The Sword and the Stone. But that's not where we're at with this. Instead, we're having to talk about this nonsense. And because of it, Disney's 2024 slate is terrible. We were supposed to be getting Falcon, excuse me, we were supposed to be getting Captain America 4, Brave New World. We were supposed to be getting 
better content than we actually are. And that was a choice that was made, a feature, not a bug. And because of that, we're going to see some things, but it's not all bad because one of the worst things that happened during the, uh, the uh, pandemic was that we did not get three Pixar films released in theaters. We didn't get Soul, Luca, or Turning Red. And I will die on the hill that Soul and Turning Red are as good as Pixar can make. And Luca was wildly popular, wildly popular for a time on Disney+. Plus. So first three months of the year, we're going to get those Disney releases in theaters. And they might surprise just a little bit at the box office, kind of like The Nightmare Before Christmas did in November. And then we're going to see some different releases that are going to come out that don't seem Disney, which, as I mentioned last time, is probably what we want, we want right now. There's going to be a prequel to The Omen. Nothing says Disney like a film about the Antichrist, right? And then we've got the latest film in the Planet of the Apes franchise, which is you and I went into and to tell last time, one of the best reviewed and highest caliber franchises in terms of quality plus box office. It's not quite Mission Impossible, but it's like right on that next level of everything's good and everything makes money. Disney is going to take the first half of the year just trying to quiet down the noise, which is a specific term Bob Iger did, mentioned uh, not that long ago, where the idea is, shh, here are a few films. Maybe some of them are Disney. Maybe some of them are not. Let's go ahead and release those, and then we'll get to Inside Out, and you'll be happy again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I agree with you in the sense where um... – you know, this is this is a very specific plan that they have here. It 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 appears, um, you know, and frankly, I totally understand the perspective on diving back into these Pixar sequels uh, from a business standpoint because there's no denying the money that Inside Out Two is going to make. It is going to do well. Um, there, I'm not going to spend a single second on this episode saying that I don't think that's going to do well because I do. In the first 24 hours of its trailers released, it was one of the most watched trailers in, that Disney's had over the last 10 years um, across all platforms, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, very popular franchise. Um, and I think personally, when you listen to what Bob Iger has said in recent weeks and recent months, um, he keeps saying this quality over quantity, quality over quantity comment. Um, he's been on the record stating that a few times and, you know, if that means when you hear that, you should always think cheap. Disney is being yeah. <laughs> cheap and safe. We're only going to do the things we're 90% sure of. There's no such thing as 100% in Hollywood, but that's exactly what the strategy is. Yeah, and the sad part about that, David, is I don't think it's the the you know film's faults over the last four or five years. I mean, some of the films, I do believe, were off the mark from a critical standpoint, from a marketing perspective. I understand that. But like you stated, there's a few films. For example, I love Soul. Soul is a gorgeous film. It's got one of the best messages you'll ever see in an animated film. It makes people cry. It it touches you like, you know, tremendously. It's a fantastic film. And I think if it was released that Christmas without a pandemic, it would have done incredibly. Um, and however, and the same thing with Luca, obviously people love turning red as well. I mean, you have films here that I don't think were necessarily bad. You know, I think, in fact, they were mostly really great. But 
they we had a pandemic and they weren't able to come out in theaters. So they're coming to streaming. And then all of a sudden, from Disney's perspective, oh, we're not making money off of these original films. Like, no, that's not what's happening here. We had some outside circumstances, whether it was COVID, whether it was the strikes. There's a lot that went on here that affected a lot of their films in recent years. And and with all that being said, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I really hope in the long term, I know in the short term, we're leaning back into the safe properties, right? The Inside Out 2, the Toy Story 5, apparently, the Frozen 3, and maybe even Frozen 4. I don't know what's going on. But I hope in the long term, Disney does continue to make those amazing original films, whether it be through Pixar or whether it be through their own animation studio, because that's what made Disney so great to begin with is just a plethora of fantastic, amazing original films. And and I don't want to see a box office world in the long term where all we're getting across the board is sequels or live action remakes or whatever. I, I really hope that's not the long term answer. Um, but I'm not going to lie, this 2024 slate has me a little nervous about that. And I feel like that's kind of rightfully so. You're absolutely correct, because if you look at Disney's releases during the first half of 2024, we have a prequel to The Omen, we have a sequel to the Planet of the Apes franchise, and then we have a sequel to Inside Out. It is definitely them leaning hard on their existing proven IP, including the stuff they purchased during the Fox acquisition. Yeah. With the Pixar titles, I just think that's a nice story, because during the pandemic, I had to cover... I don't want to get into that. Um, it wasn't pleasant. There's a lot of stuff I never actually went into that I wish I didn't know. But one of the happiest stories really was the Pixar people, the entire staff were such pros. You will never understand how high quality and high character the people are working at Pixar because there was all of this muckraking going on of, oh, let's hear the angry Pixar people. Their latest film, Turning Red, isn't going into theaters. Blah, blah, blah. Let's see the angry. And the quote was like, you know, I was really disappointed, but I totally get it. It is a safe, smart thing. That was the sexy quote people were having to use to make it sound like Pixar people were disgruntled. They deserve yeah. their work to be seen in theaters in the way it was intended. And it might work yeah. because I, we were driving uh, to dinner last night. And my wife just randomly asked me, hey, do you want to go see Soul in theaters this weekend? We might do that. Um it's a new way to see an established classic. And I think that, you know, it deserves that. Then yeah. we get to the the bigger question, which is about how to handle IP. And this is one of the great challenges because, you know, we're inevitably going to talk about Universal some in this podcast. Universal is one of the competitors to Disney, as is Warner Brothers Discovery. Universal had a good year. In fact, I would actually say that given everything that happened, they had a phenomenal year. They had two of the top three movies of the year. It's not like it's a surprise that the Super Mario Brothers movie did as well as it did. Everyone should have seen that coming. Oppenheimer, yeah, that's a little a little different, but there was a very strange phenomenon there that's impossible to duplicate. Correct. Um, Disney, when you evaluate the competition, Universal released Migration in theaters. Have you paid any attention? Migration has just been, eh. They're trying to create yeah. new IP, and it's IP that looks a lot like a previous film from a different studio called Rio, <laughs> which led to yeah. Rio 2. 
It is just a yep. cheap knockoff of Rio that's not as pretty, even though we're eight years down the line in terms of technology. That's what migration is. But they were hoping to create new IPs so that they could create new theme park attractions. And it doesn't look like it's worked. Mm-hmm. You are absolutely correct that without a pandemic, everybody is raving about how Pixar can do no wrong because their three films <laughs> were all ambitious titles like Coco. They were Soul, mm-hmm. they were Turning Red, they were Luca. And all of them were new and people didn't know what to expect and they were crowd pleasers. But yeah. we didn't get that world because everyone was stuck in their homes at the time. And so it looks like Pixar box office is way down, even though the quality has been, you know, just outstanding despite, you know, let's be honest, they're playing with the, the difficulty level at high. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, what's often forgotten um, for anybody who thought this this podcast episode was just going to be purely doom and gloom, I promise you that's not the case. We're talking some specifics, but I'm going to talk about some of the major victories they had in 2023 and, you know, how they're really not that far away from being right at the top of the mountain once again. But uh, the biggest example for me with that is Elemental, um, which was Pixar's to me, a huge win for Pixar, making half a billion dollars. And people could say, oh, well, it had a $200 million budget. Doesn't matter. That means it profited uh, from a marketability standpoint. And on top of that, it had some of the best legs the box office has ever seen. And frankly, it also dominated the charts on Disney Plus for weeks on end. So you have a... And it still is. So you have a win-win from a streaming perspective and an original film that that really, really did extremely well at the box office. So frankly, I think that is a film that that honestly, I think that's Pixar people sitting there smiling, being like, see, uh, we're telling you, we're telling you we can do this. We're telling you we can put out original content and it's going to keep selling. Um and you know, I have to, I have to give them a lot of credit for for that major victory. In fact, on the recent earnings call, we heard Bob Iger actually shout out Elemental, and we heard him talk about it and say that it was a major victory, and and they were very pleased with the results. So, you know, it there, it, it doesn't have to be a strictly sequel IP driven world uh, at the box office. Do I understand why they're going that direction in the short term? Absolutely. I just again. Hope it's not a long-term solution, um, just because I think they're very, very close to being right back at the top of the mountain again. Um, and and let's get into some of some of that. But before we do, I want to talk about the Hollywood Reporter's recent article because from 2016 to 2022, they this is in the article they stated that Disney placed first in global market share. It lost its domestic race to Sony in 2020, um, but that was the year of the COVID box office collapse. Universal hasn't ranked number one on a worldwide basis since 2015 when the studio's revenue reached a then record $6.9 billion. How significant is this to you, David? I know one of the things that people often forget with this box office um, comparison that I kind of find interesting is uh, Universal had 27 releases and Disney had 17. Um, that's a pretty dramatic difference for them to be neck and neck and you know universal had 10 more titles so that kind of puts into perspective when disney has a hit it really has a hit um you know and it really dominates but how significant is this to you that for the first time since 2016 now eight years ago disney is in a situation where it didn't completely lead the charts uh for the year at the box office 
It matters. I don't want to say it, it doesn't matter. That would be trivializing something. And I actually, I, I strongly believe this is good for Disney in a way. Disney should be playing some defense about some of the, the mistakes it's made. Um, there have been processes. And I always come down to, and I know these are terrible answers nobody wants to hear, but I am a brick and mortar guy. I am a you got to build the foundation guy. I believe mm-hmm. in structural stability. And during the pandemic, a lot of the flaws that had been building in Disney, I mean, it's like a pressure cooker. It's, it just suddenly went off. A lot of the flaws got exposed. And what we learned was Disney was throwing too much on the shoulders of people who were green in this industry and who weren't ready for the limelight. And it's such a challenging question. You know, it's like it's like an NFL quarterback. You know, it doesn't matter if you draft him in the first round or not. It doesn't matter if it's Brock Purdy who goes, you know, Mr. Irrelevant in the draft. What matters is you throw them on the field and you see what happens. Disney threw some people on the field and they weren't quite ready. And that's, yeah. it, it, it kind of magnified the issues because when we talk about wish and I think wish is charming. And I think the star in wish is the most kawaii thing. I, I mean, I love it. I am obsessed with star merchandise, but Wish is a movie is slight. It is just too slight for what should be Disney animation because I have a, a fervent belief that if you're one of the 60-plus films that actually come from Disney animation, you should be flawless, and Wish isn't. Wish is, is, isn't like that. The Marvels is also a film that's you know really fun. The Marvels kind of gets a bad rap for what it is, but I I think that even if there hadn't been a pandemic, we would have exited the Marvels going, boy, there wasn't much of a script there. I I don't really know Mm -hmm. what they were doing. It's just a bunch of whiz-bang, splashy, hey, let's transport this person to this person. It's an idea that's not super well or maybe not super detailed in its implementation. We just learned Disney is not caring enough about scripts during the movies. And given how much extra time they had during the pandemic, that's a little bit worrisome. And when you start talking about these things, we've seen it with Marvel. Marvel was in a situation where, I'll use another sports uh, analogy, if the Lakers have won three straight you know, world championships, you can't really mess with the roster too much you know what i'm saying marvel becomes the superior brand in all of entertainment so it is hard to shake uh, shake up the executives you kind of get to this point with the executives where you can't make changes and then it comes out they're kind of tired of each other they're sick of working together and it's probably for the best that victor uh, victoria alonzo is gone because i just get the feeling that she was over it and yeah. they were all too happy to throw her under the bus in, frankly, an unprofessional way to make it look like it was all her fault. <laughs> it couldn't possibly have been. There are just a lot of cracks that surfaced. And so now what you need to do is you need to get the concrete and you need to go back and you need to repair the ground before you can go forward. And that's why I really think when we look at all of this, it's going to be good long term. Because it sounds like Disney realizes we've made a lot of mistakes. There's stuff that's fixable here. And that's when you start improving again. And, and the point I keep making is Disney in the 1980s was a nightmare. I mean, who framed Roger Rabbit's what saved Disney in the 80s? And yet 
you start looking at what happened because of that. We get the Little Mermaid. We get Beauty and the Beast. We get the Lion King. They looked at what wasn't working and they said, we need to focus more on story because at the end of the day, it's the story that you and I care about as Disney fans. There weren't enough stories in 2023 that resonate. Yeah, I tend to agree. I, th I think, you know, the Marvel question is is a big one, and it's something we're definitely going to be discussing in more detail in the second half of the episode. But one of the things that, you know, sticks out to me, I guess, is it, there's all this talk, that, and there has been for years, about superhero fatigue, superhero movie fatigue. Do people not like superhero films anymore? And I just don't think that is accurate in the slightest. I think we had an unparalleled run of uh very good comic book films um and i don't mean not every single one of them was the dark knight quality where it's one of the greatest films of all time but we did have a run that was tremendous for marvel for all of phase three for the most part from a critical standpoint a box office standpoint that it was it was a run that's really unparalleled in the history of cinema so you know are we having a box office fatigue or superhero fatigue for superhero films? No, I just think if you look at the last three, four years, the quality has dropped off from a story perspective, a script perspective, and you know, even, even a character perspective, which is unfortunate, but that doesn't mean that people don't like superhero films anymore. I mean, we saw Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 make $850 million this year. Why? Why is that a correlation? Because it was the most well-reviewed Marvel film in years. People loved it. And, and it was a perfect send-off for a, an excellent group of characters. We've seen the Batman just last year gross nearly $800 million. Uh, sorry, two years ago. Um, you know, we've seen, we've seen these films that are doing, you know, still tremendous at the box office that are superhero films. But the correlation that I've noticed time and time again is the ones that are good make a lot more money than the ones aren't as good. It's really that simple. I know it sounds like I'm, you know, talking like a broken record here, but it's one of those things that, you know, I, I've had this conversation with so many uh, friends and colleagues in the professional world and, you know, just friends who love Marvel. And it's been the same conversation. Um, most of the time when the film's really good, Wakanda Forever, for example, pretty well received by the critics, mm -hmm. made over a hundred million dollars, $800 million. You know, this is, this isn't science, uh, you know, or this is, you know, it's pretty simple. Um, and I think, uh, Disney is noticing that, um, and looked at 2024 and saw, okay, what of these films is a surefire hit? Which of these films is going to make money at the box office, which is going to attract everybody and anybody which is our event film and is actually going to be well received and they saw deadpool 3 sitting right there with hugh jackman returning that hugh jackman is as loved if not more beloved than those two spider-man that came back in no way home so you're seeing a film that is going to attract the masses absolutely and they clearly were confident enough in that film from a story perspective to say okay we're releasing that one the rest of them though the other three films we were thinking about releasing were pushing back. That, to me, is very telling from the perspective of we need to take the stories more seriously and, and the scripts more seriously, but also their confidence level now in, in where these films are at if they're not very good. Um, so so that's, that's really 
interesting to me, and I'm not sure if you sort of see things the same way, but I just I just wanted to touch upon that when it comes to Deadpool 3, which is releasing this year. No, you're absolutely correct. In fact, I think there was an arrogance by Marvel that got exposed, and that arrogance was, we can release anything, we're Marvel, people will watch it anyway. Now, you've made several astute points here, and one of them I want to circle back to. When we talk about uh, Wakanda Forever and we talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, there's almost an apology that they didn't make a billion dollars, and that's nonsense. It is 50% harder to make a billion dollars right now. That's just you know an arbitrary number I'm picking out of my head, but... Hollywood can't really release films in China right now. And because of that, when they do, China doesn't want to see them because there's things happening right now. And Bob Iger touched on this. He's no longer as confident about Shanghai Disneyland and Hong Kong uh, Disneyland as he had been. And the reason why is circumstances are changing. And as part of that, theatrical releases take the hit. And the other thing is a lot of international territories still haven't recovered yet and frankly haven't shown signs of recovering yet, which is the worrisome part for me is this might be another story throughout 2024 where box office, at least global box office, is going to continue to be deflated. And that's one of the reasons I have always in my writing emphasized domestic box office first and foremost. The reason why is that's the bigger cut. That's where the most of the profit is. And it's also, you've got more control here. And that is one of the other things we need to talk about. You're referencing the fact that Blade was pushed, that uh, Captain America 4 was pushed. Basically what Disney has decided here exists beyond just the Marvel topic. What they've done is they've decided we are all over the place with our marketing. We are spending all of this budget trying to push all of these different films. That's not the smart approach right now. We need to be granular. We need to focus in on the titles that we feel good about. So let's push all of our marketing for the next six months on Inside Out and Deadpool 3. These are the titles that are going to push the narrative for us and are going to make it look like Disney is back. And these things are incredibly cyclical. That's why when you talk about where Disney's out right at, at right now and how, you know, in 2015 is the last time that happened. All these other studios spent most of that time answering questions. Why is Disney able to do this? And Warner Brothers can't, Universal can't. Paramount, Paramount's a shell at this point. I don't even think that's an exaggeration. And they've been in that same boat. Disney has made it look easy. And now they're finally seeing how the other half lives for a while. And I think that it is very, very smart to go, we're going to push all of our marketing spend on these key core Disney titles so that you know exactly what Disney is about in 2024. And it also gets rid of some of the pressure that might have been on Captain America 4 because of the fact that a lot of people want Steve, Rod uh, Steve Rogers back. And um, you know what? I better not say anything there. Um, yeah. Yeah. There, there are a lot of things there, but just as, you know, as we went to press, uh, Stephen Yoon dropped out of Thunderbolts. A lot of the things that were knowns about Marvel's the next three years are no longer known by anyone. And a lot of mm -hmm. people are trying to fake it right now, but it's obvious that Marvel has just taken an etch-a-sketch to a lot of its plans. So that makes yeah. it that much more important, Deadpool 3, Deadpool 3, Deadpool 3. 
Yeah, no, and and I totally agree. From a Marvel perspective, uh, this is the most pressure they've had on a film in quite a while, and and I think rightfully so. And but I think they are very smart the way they have uh, you know set it up because this is about as surefire of a hit on paper. I'll say on paper because we've had films look like it's going to make a ton and then it doesn't. But this is as surefire of a hit that I've seen in years, uh, really since No Way Home or, or um, you know, uh, Avatar two. So, so I'm I'm very curious to see what happens. But I feel very confident in in the box office gross of that. But also, I feel very confident in the critical reception of that film. Um, and I really hope I'm right about both. But uh, before we get into the second half of the episode uh, and talk a little bit more about things like the billion dollar number, which David just referenced, is significantly more hard to reach than it used to be. I want to mention that this episode and every episode of the Mickey Bod Podcast is brought to you by Mickey Travels. Mickey Travels is a nationally recognized leader in Disney vacation planning. They are diamond earmarked by Disney and their services are always 100% free. Reach out to Mickey Travels today for a free quote on your Disney vacation at MickeyTravels.com. That's MickeyTravels.com, making magic one vacation at a time. I did want to cut you off. I apologize, but I'm excited about this. If you have Disney Plus, you should be talking to Mickey Travels right now because they can set you up with free Disney dining at the theme parks. It is an incredible offer and exactly the type of thing Disney should be doing to reward its loyal viewers. If you're watching Disney Plus, you should get better deals at the parks. And right now, if you talk to Mickey Travels, you can. And I want to emphasize mm -hmm. this. Mickey Travels, Diamond Earmarked, twice. We did it! Yeah. Yep, indeed, indeed. Mickey Travels has been recognized with that diamond earmark status for the second year in a row. Uh, very, you know, elite group of uh, agencies that are at that level. And for good reason, they can book your Disney vacation, plan your Disney vacation at no additional cost to you. It costs absolutely no difference from you booking it yourself to having a professional Disney travel planner do it for you. Uh, it makes all the sense in the world to me to reach out to them. So definitely do so for your next Disney-related trip, whether it is the parks, the cruise line, or elsewhere with Disney destinations. Um, so as we move into the second half of the episode, David, I want to go back to the billion-dollar uh, mark because that's a mark that I believe from 2010 to 2019, you know, people started getting a warped version of what that is. Um, largely in part because we had some record-breaking films, obviously, during that decade. Um, you know, but not just record-breaking films. We saw a lot of films that just were regularly making a billion dollars. I want people to understand this. Again, this is just my personal opinion, um, but I also think it's pretty factually based here. Uh, the billion-dollar mark, one, is not the mark of whether a film is successful or not. It's just not. Um, that entirely depends on the budget and the marketing budget of a film. From a box office perspective, it's not the indicator. And two, the next thing I want to touch upon is that it's a rarity, okay? This is not a regular thing. It's not supposed to be a regular thing. There's a reason why there's only, I believe, 52 films all time that have reached this mark. Um, and Disney has only 10 of their MCU projects, which to me is a pretty big number that has reached that that number. So we're talking about kind of rarefied air here and and with with the reason. But regardless, the reason I want to bring this back up is CBR put out an article a few days ago as well saying that excluding the pandemic years of 2020 and 2021, which obviously saw drastic box office declines and some studios opting not to release films, 
Disney has seen a film exceed $1 billion yearly after 2014. With Wish being Disney's final film this year, it's difficult opening means that no Disney film will pass this milestone in 2023, uh, at least per the numbers. Disney's largest box office gross in 2023 was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which netted the industry giant around $845 million. That would still fall short of Disney's biggest 2014 entries, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 and Maleficent, which adjusted for inflation, would actually cross the billion dollar mark in 2023. So I just found that specific section of the article interesting, David, and I wanted you to sort of touch upon this as well. I'm not trying to sound like the biggest Disney defender in the world, uh, because frankly, um, I have plenty of criticism for them uh, in this episode. But I just, I would say that I do think people have gotten a little bit of a warped idea on what this billion dollar mark means. And Disney is in a unique situation where a lot of their films can actually be marked as success, even if they don't make a ton of money because they have Disney Plus with these streaming service numbers that roll in, for example, like Elemental. And we also have things like Moana, which years later, you've touched upon many times, actually, on previous episodes of this podcast. It sustains success over time. Now, why is this important? Everything I'm bringing up, because this correlates directly with the parks. Right. If you have a property that becomes extremely successful on Disney Plus and with the kids or, you know, maybe it's semi successful in the box office, but extremely successful on streaming, it doesn't matter. It can still drive children. It can still drive people to the theme parks if you build an attraction based off of that IP. So it's very cyclical and very connected comparatively to other box office giants. Obviously, we have Universal and things like that. But, you know, I just wanted to sort of touch upon that and wanted your opinion as well. Yeah, so I'm actually looking this up right now because I want the precise numbers on this. What you're saying is uncannily accurate. And it's one of the things that... The best way I could say this is what you're saying about Moana is why there is now a Moana appearance permanently at Epcot. It's why there's now mm -hmm. Journey of Water inspired by Moana. Disney is in a cycle. And the way the cycle works is they create something and then they market it 75 different ways. It's really an impressive structure if, if you look at it. There's merchandise. I mean, I'm wearing a non-specific have a great day at the park shirt. But, you know, I've got all kinds of Disneyland shirts, Walt Disney World shirts that are all marketed to specific films. And that's how the system works. But there's other ways that Disney makes money, and some of them are a little glib. And one of them that we're talking about a lot is Disney Plus, because currently it is not making money. However, Iger has finally realized, all right, we are past the loss leader phase of this, which is business terminology. Let's, I'll try and avoid the uh, getting in the weeds here. But the gist is, eventually, everybody expects streaming services are going to be a high-margin, high-profit business. And currently, right now, the average Disney Plus user earns Disney $6.70. In other words, once a month, you pay them an amount of money, and Disney monetizes it at the rate of $6.70. There's 100 million users. There's, you know, well beyond that. But we're just going to focus on North America right now. We're going to say there's 122 million users in the United States. So that is all the marketing money that you're getting, which means you're absolutely correct that the theatrical run has always been a misdirect. I, I commented last time, I'm not going to go into the detail again, but there's basically been five different phases of how one movie makes money. 
and those phases are changing now, but it used to be, you know, way back when that you would release it in theaters and then you would make your money when it was either on video cassette, DVD, that type of thing. And then you'd make it on cable. You'd make it on network television. Iger is having to reinvent that model on the fly for modern 2020s audiences. And it's been challenging and there's been setbacks along the way because the initial approach was the way Wall Street always says to do things right until they get tired of it. And that's throw money at the problem. We'll figure out the ideas later. And then there comes a point where they're like, wait, you lost how much money? No, no, no. Stop throwing money at the problem. That's not working. That's cyclical also. It was a mistake in some ways the way Chappick did this, but you know, that's Chappick for you. We're now at the point where Disney Plus has figured out the financing on this stuff. And because of that, we can start looking again at how to do theatrical releases. And as I'm saying, the challenges there are that studios kind of happily went along with the whole global box office thing, which I can tell you my site was against from day one. We're like, this is going to be... This is going to bite you at some point if you keep talking this up because these numbers are artificial. There's a guy you don't know named Howard J. Epstein. He's really, really interesting if you Google him. 1970s, he was a guy who really, really mattered in society. He became kind of obsessed with box office in his later years of life. And what he realized when he was looking at China was when you talk about $100 million in Chinese box office, American uh, uh, studios earn maybe $8 million of that maybe 12 million but you have to realize you're saying 100 but it's really 10 that's a lie mm. that's just a pure simple yeah. hollywood lie about how something does so this is why i always whenever i talk about things when you release a film internationally you have to pay for translations you have to pay for promotion you have to sometimes pay to play i'm not going to get into the bribery details but you got to grease some wills there there's a lot of factors that go in and there's a political component as i referenced with Iger discussing china it's much, much cleaner in North America. And in North America, we're generally seeing Disney films do pretty well, all things considered. And this is why when I did my evaluation of what went wrong with Disney cinema in 2023, I kind of came to the same conclusion that eventually Variety wrote the same article a couple of weeks later, and they kind of reached the same path, which was it was like a C plus year. It wasn't, you know, like an F year by any stretch. It was a profitable year and Disney can grow from it. And one of the things you were talking about elemental earlier when we talked about migration, with migration, it's not viable to do migration too. You're just doing that to do that rather than something the audience would want. Elemental two is not, not just viable, it is desired. And that is when yeah. a project has worked, you know, the way it's supposed to. And I realize you're saying we need more new original IP. Everybody agrees with that, but we now see the risk when you try to do too much of it at once. There needs to be a really fine balance of let's do uh, these sequels and these new IPs. And with the new IPs, you've got to make sure. And yeah. it's really, really hard because nobody really can ever tell on paper. I mean, a year ago, I sat on this very forum and I was like, oh, Disney's 2023 and film looks fantastic. Wow. It's the best since 2019. That guy yeah. a year ago, me, was an idiot so that's how it works you just got to make your peace with it yeah and and so what's fascinating though is is oftentimes when we go into uh for film fans for box office fans when you go into a year um and you're looking at it especially this time of year right end of december early january 
you have all these preconceived ideas for how it's going to go. But if you went back in time and told 2023 David or 2023 Jared that, you know, Barbie and Oppenheimer and Super Mario Bros would be the top three earners this year, you'd probably say, you know, you're crazy. I, and that's and that's the way the box office world works. And and it's it's fascinating because sometimes the experts are so spot on, but every once in a while there's these anomalies. And Barbie and Oppenheimer is a perfect example of that, which is, as you stated earlier, something that'll probably never be replicated. And I tend to agree. But regardless, you know, we've had a, a year that just happened, 2023, where frankly, this isn't just a Disney thing. This is an industry-wide thing where people were like, how did that happen? And how did that happen? And how did that movie make that much money? Or how did that movie not make that much money? So I'm curious to see what the that version is going to be this year. Um, and, and I don't think it's all going to be bad for Disney because some of these projects that are coming out this year could fall into that surprise big hit category that Disney owns the rights to. For example, we've already touched a little bit about... Uh, the Planet of the Apes film, which is in the exact same universe of the previous three films that were highly rated, highly successful. Westfall is directing it, and he has planned uh, a whole trilogy here. It's set 300 years after the previous film, so we're not getting any direct ties to the original three. That means that trilogy can live on its own forever. It doesn't have to be greatly affected. Uh, you know, that's not a Star Wars reference, but I'm just saying. Um, and regardless, that actually you know, moves the play if you're going to do this stuff now on. You got to stay far away from the untouchable stuff. <laughs> I think it's a smart play because if your film ends up being good, amazing. If it ends up being bad, it's still not really greatly affecting the originals anyways. So regardless, but uh, I digress. Uh, I won't go on a Star Wars rant right now, I promise. Uh, but that is a film that I think could do extremely well at the global box office. Um, I think another film is the Alien reboot that is coming this year. People love the Alien franchise and, you know, Ridley Scott has given the film his stamp of approval, um, which is a big deal in my opinion. Um, and, and I just, I think there's films like those two uh, that, that have a chance to be those versions of sort of surprises. And um, the last thing I'll mention about the 2024 slate specifically, uh, because there's a few other topics I want to touch upon, is Mufasa, The Lion King, which is a live-action Lion King prequel, uh, which is a, a mouthful to try to describe. But um, people forget, okay, regardless of your feelings of the live-action Lion King film, I have plenty of people I know have strong feelings for that film. That is one of the top seven, eight grossing films in the history of cinema. It made yes. $1.67 billion. Um, so with that being said, uh, you have a film in the same universe with Mufasa and these Lion King characters appearing um, and releasing a film right at the Holiday Corridor, which, as we've found out this year with a film like Wonka, which nobody is predicting would have made 600, 700 million, which it looks like it's going to, the holiday time period is so powerful for movie-going experiences and so, so powerful for the box office. That's another film that could greatly surprise people with its performance. I'm not going to say it's going to have a Star Wars or an Avatar-level performance like those two franchises used to do every December. Um, but, you know, regardless, we have some films on the slate here that I think Disney might find is 
are great successes for them beyond the Inside Out 2 and beyond the Deadpool 3, which those are the two obvious ones, right? Those are the two I think everybody in the film industry thinks, okay, great. Those are two knockout, probably going to crush it kind of films uh, from a financial perspective. I'm kind of referencing the rest of the slate. So what are your thoughts on on some of the films I just touched upon and whether they can be uh, successful? So we touched on this in the last podcast, and that's I have deeply conflicted feelings about Mufasa because I'm actually pretty pro on Disney's live action remakes. I realize that's the contrarian opinion and not at all popular in many Disney circles, but I think most of them have been somewhere between very good and excellent. Uh, I really like Cinderella, and um, I I thought Beauty and the Beast was excellent. Um, The Lion King was the one that didn't work at all for me, and I mean at all for me. That was closer to my bottom-of-the-year list than my top-of-the-year list. It was just too artificial, and it took me out of the story. In the animated thing, it's like this warm hug where you're just enraptured by the surroundings. And it's so well told that you kind of forget how awful nature is, you know, because they're creating these warm characters that you just want to learn more about. And sure, there's, you know, some hyenas and some other stuff, but mainly it's about family and the maturation process and how we all move along in the wake of loss. What happened along the way was people were like, boy, I really wish we'd learn more about Mufasa, though. And now, 30 years later, we're going to do that. But my goodness, you want to talk about a lot of pressure. Imagine the people who are writing and directing a Mufasa standalone uh, film. No pressure, folks. Good luck. If everyone hates it, you will never be welcome at a Disney theme park again. They will throw tomatoes at you. So that (laughs) is, you know, good luck. Um, But I think... It's going to work, and that's kind of me just saying theoretically rather than having seen any footage of it that, you know, would actually indicate anything. So I'm in wait-and-see mode on that. With Alien, you had me until Ridley Scott recommended it because Alien Covenant was just – it is probably yeah. best that we just start from scratch on Alien. I happen to be one of those people who really, really liked Prometheus. I thought it had very good ideas. Me too. Um, now, the criticisms of the woman not running the right way as the thing crushed her to death, completely valid. <laughs> that was stupid. But the movie itself, I think, is really good science fiction. Alien Covenant kind of undid all of it and tore it down. Um, mm. A new Alien film, and this is where I screwed up last time and I hate when I make mistakes – The director of this one, not Planet of the Apes, is the person who did Don't Breathe. And if you haven't watched Don't Breathe, that is a really good suspense film. Really, really good from, you know, the guy who happens to be the villain in the Avatar films. And that is one of the things that we need to mention whenever we pull all this together with Planet of the Apes and with Alien, which is that Disney bought Fox for a reason. It's going to monetize those assets. And it really exceeded expectations with Avatar The Way of Water, which you're talking about, you know, what I've always called the 12 days of box office, how well things do in late December, which we also, God help you, you all just experienced it with the theme parks. When people have vacation time, they go to movie theaters and theme parks in staggering numbers. Are you okay, by the way? Should we send help? I mean, I was worried (laughs) about you all. (laughs) Um, So that's what we're talking about here. and. I think with Alien that not being Disney, but having the Disney marketing push, it should be in really good shape. And then there's another film going out. Uh, 
I've got an article that hasn't published yet on Mickey blog. That's about the Disney releases of 2024. And one of the ones I go in on is the amateur and the amateur is actually a remake of a 1982 film. And it doesn't sound like, you know, it's going to be a hit, but I think it could surprise. And the reason why is it has Rami Malek and it has Rachel Brosnahan, which means it is basically Mr. Robot and the, uh, the marvelous Ms. Maisel working together on a project. And it also has the guy who plays the jerk on, you know, it doesn't, I'm getting too far in the weeds on that. <laughs> anyway, the point is it's about a guy whose wife is killed by terrorists and he basically blackmails the CIA into training him and letting him go take his own revenge, which means it's John Wick if instead of a dog, it was a wife. And Gail Simone rants about this stuff. It's definitely woman in refrigerator syndrome. Uh, his wife gets fridged. It's a 1982 story. That was a much more common trope at the time. But the characters involved with this and the John Wick elements mean that this could be a really good film that becomes awards bait with the Disney touch. So I feel better about that with most people and just, I, I cannot stress this enough. If Deadpool three is a miss, we're off the rails with everything Marvel. So I don't see how yeah. that happens. And that's why I feel pretty good about Marvel's 2024 slate. I think that's going to be the forgive and forget film. Yeah, I, uh, I tend to agree. You know, um, you know, we saw even with uh, No Way Home, you know, with that film being as great of a success as it was, it was followed up by Multiverse of Madness. And if people remember, Multiverse of Madness made almost a billion dollars, $954 million to be exact. And, and for a film like that to follow up and be that successful, uh, these, these things are correlated. You know, if you have a big hit that people universally loved, that was critically loved that, you know, and then you have another film that's coming out that might be connected to it. People are going to be more inclined to watch that film. It's just the way the world works. So uh, that's going to be something to to look for here as Deadpool three comes out. What, what project does it tease next, you know, at, at the end of this film and, and what kind of raised expectations then get just shot through the roof for these upcoming projects in 2025. Um, that's something to, to sort of watch because Disney, they know what they're doing with that kind of stuff. And, and Marvel has a long history of teasing the next project. Uh, and I think recently they've struggled a little bit with getting people into seats for that next project because people are looking at me like, well, that last project wasn't very good. So why would right. I get excited for this next project? So that's what Deadpool 3 really is all about. It's not just a financial success situation. It's about getting people's trust back and getting people's love for it back where people are once again excited for it, which again, you know, it hasn't come out yet. So I'm not going to make any bold proclamations, but I feel as strongly about that one being a success all around as I ever have from a Marvel film. Um, but I wanted to mention a few other franchises here. Neither one has, you know, film franchises projects dropping in 2024, but these are major, major properties uh, that Disney um, continues to work on. We touched a little bit upon um, Avatar just a moment ago, David, uh, you know, and, and Avatar not only uh, surpassed everybody's expectations with The Way of Water, it smashed them, um, to be frank. It, it made $2.3 billion, which is good for the third most successful film in the history of cinema. That means uh, James Cameron has three of the top four 
highest grossing films in the history of cinema. And it also meant that uh, his other three sequels that are upcoming for Avatar were all greenlit by Disney um, because of it. Um, he basically had been on the record stating that, you know, he could technically wrap up his story in a trilogy if need be, but he has these fourth and fifth written scripts and, and it all depends on the box office. And what do you know? It crushed it at the box office. So now it looks like we're getting four or three more sequels. Um, so I wanted to touch briefly upon that. Obviously the third film was actually supposed to be released end of 2024. It got pushed back a year to December 25. Um, but this is a property that Disney can absolutely hold its head up high about right now um, and in years to come. And on top of that, I don't think they're, you know, taking it lightly. As we have already heard, there's an expansion coming to Disneyland, uh, an Avatar-themed expansion of some sort. And obviously Pandora remains one of the most successful and uh, popular um, theme park lands in the world. So uh, it, it's really amazing what they've done with that franchise. And I'm very curious to see what happens in these next few years with it. Um, obviously, I think, frankly, I'll be just as interested in the box office returns on the third film as I was in the second, just because it feels like every time people sit there and be like, this is the one, this is going to be the time that nobody cares about the James Cameron project. It just, it doesn't happen. And it continues to not happen. And, and I'm really excited, frankly, to see everybody doubt this movie once again and say nobody cares about avatar and then once again it's probably going to crush everybody's expectations right during the holiday season and um have everybody in theaters for weeks on end so so what are your thoughts on the avatar franchise and uh to wrap up uh follow that up i guess with some thoughts on star wars and where where we stand with that franchise as we head forward because it's been uh, years since we've had a Star Wars film come out in theaters, and it appears it's going to be several more years. So uh, we're we're kind of on a wait and see approach, which is quite opposite uh, from the Marvel brand. So wanted your thoughts on those two. Well, with Avatar, I think we've reached the absolutely bizarre position where if the film somehow made only $2 billion, that would seem like a huge step back, which says <laughs> everything possible about what a dramatic success this is. I mean, frankly, there aren't enough hyperboles. It's basically, you know, LeBron James's career. I mean, I, I yeah. don't know. You, you start looking for comparisons for it, and it's Shohei Otani. I mean, it is just absolutely impossible. It doesn't make mm -hmm. any sense, and yet it happens. We're watching it. And, you know, you mentioned uh, Spider-Man No Way Home and this. We're talking about how international box office is deflated, which means these two performances in particular – you can add, you know, 25 or 30 percent. There is a real chance The Way of Water might have been the number one film of all time if it had come out when there wasn't a pandemic or any, you know, remnants of a pandemic. It was mm -hmm. artificially deflated with its box office, which is impossible, but also a true statement. So I mentioned last time they're just they know how to market these things so well. Evil Fire mm -hmm. Navi. I'm sold. What else do you need about the film? <laughs> and obviously, as long as they keep making money, Disney would be happy to take another couple of billion dollars at the box office. Will there probably yeah. be a gradual erosion of box office? Yeah, I I understand what you're saying that you shouldn't – I'm the one who's always saying this, actually. You should never bet against James Cameron. But I just think, like, the law of averages has to come into play at some point. Mike Trout can't sure. be MVP forever. It's, it's yep. a lot like that where you kind of start taking it for granted a little bit. So I don't think 
it'll make as much as the last one did, but I think it'll make more than anything else that year. I mean, I would be shocked if it weren't the number one film of 2025. And so, you know, that's the ace Disney has up its sleeve for the following year, where no matter what happens in 2025, barring something unforeseen with the delay, which, you know, James Cameron films happen. Um, but if there's not a delay, they know they're going to have the number one film of 2025 to end the year. So, you yeah. know, it, it gives you a kind of confidence as you enter that. So that's why 2024 needs to be better. And then with Star Wars, you know, there was news that just came out yesterday about that. Daisy Ridley sounds ec ecstatic. But I I know how busy you are. I don't know if you read it or not. There is now a Disney Headlines article up on live on the site that just went live within the last few hours. And in it, I discuss a fandom poll. And the fandom poll kind of made me do that puppy dog head tilt, you know, of, wait, what? <laughs> um, where, you know, I'm trying to figure it out. Because according to fandom survey, the number one franchise of 2023 at movie theaters was Star Wars. And Star Wars, as you're mentioning, hasn't released a film since before the pandemic. So we're kind of looking at that going, okay, I guess. Number two was Marvel. And they're trying to write the story as, oh, Marvel's slipping because Star Wars has passed it. Well, hey, Disney doesn't care. Disney owns Marvel and Star Wars. That's just full yeah. win for them. So no matter how much people complain about the state of Marvel, still their favorite franchise. Star Wars has done what Marvel is also going to do. And that is they've gone ahead and rebuilt the franchise via Disney plus programming. And that is absolutely the right play. And this is the point I've been trying to make for the past several years now. And people are always chewing at me about it, but most consumers don't distinguish between streaming and theatrical experience. They just know content is content. Star Wars mm -hmm. on content on Disney plus still counts. And you look at something like Andor, which is a critical success and did, you know, tremendous uh, performance on the Nielsen ratings. You look at Ahsoka, you look at uh, uh, especially the Mandalorian. They have restocked the cabinet and they have once again made people forget about what was a very divisive trilogy. That's something I mentioned in the, uh, the film article for 2024 is. Adam Driver just basically came out and said he went rogue during the filming of Star Wars 9. He went ahead and kept acting the same way, even though he knew that that wasn't the way they were going to do it. And I'm not saying that never happens in Hollywood, but it's certainly a rarity for something like mm -hmm. that. But it kind of shows just how much indecision, confusion, and changed minds there were when it came to the, the third Star Wars trilogy. And so because of that, it was better to kick the can down the road a few years and just wait. And let's remember, Disney always could do that with Marvel, where it just rebuilt with television if it did reach that point. But it's not going to get to that place. We've got, with Deadpool 3, I'm not spoiling anything to say, they're going to bring some of the old Fox X-Men characters into the MCU. Sorry, my cat just made an appearance. And... Um, <laughs> When they bring those characters in the MCU, it's going to set up, you know, various X-Men mutants type stories. And that's really what people want. So we've got in the pipeline, we've got Fantastic Four, which is going to start filming soon. We've got uh, Thunderbolts, which should be really good because it's like if Suicide Squad were done by people who knew how to tell a story, which hasn't happened yet. No offense to James Gunn, but it hasn't been done well yet. Thunderbolts should be done really, really well. 
and then we've got the mutants coming and we've got Avengers clarity in the offing. Uh, I don't want to get off on a rant here. Disney screwed up and I don't know the legalese of it, but the instant the allegations came out, they needed to cut ties with Jonathan Majors. It was just, it was the right thing to do. And mm -hmm. they held on too long and now they look bad about it. And on top of that, they've got Kang Dynasty and it might not be Kang Dynasty now. There's still, there's a juggling act going on and there's a debate happening in certain circles, but I think they're about to pivot to a different villain. And so what we thought we knew about the next two Avengers films is probably in some dispute, but it's also probably going to eventually reach the same destination, even though the path isn't the same. So I feel pretty comfortable with where Marvel is at. And that is before we talk about the fact that the Agatha Harkness story, I cannot imagine that being anything other than another spectacular blockbuster. So I feel like there's a lot of pros coming for Disney in 2024 with its Marvel brand. And it needs that because let's be honest, between Secret Invasion and Quantumania, that's two of the bottom five things in the history of the MCU that came out in six months. And I don't know, that never should have happened. That was a, a failure of oversight. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I have high hopes for how um, Disney, Marvel, um, the brand in general, but more than that, the box office returns can all bounce back in 2024. I believe we will see the return of a billion dollar film. Um, I haven't quite decided if it's going to be Inside Out 2 or Deadpool 3 yet. But it could be both, to be honest with you. And that might sound crazy, but I really believe it. Um, these are two such high-powered uh, franchises that people love and appeal to different audiences, too, in some ways. So I'm very confident about the performances of that. I'm very confident about Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. I think we're going to see Mufasa, The Lion King, surprise people. We have a whole slate of films here that people can be excited for. And more than that, it does look like Disney is taking a step back to try to focus more on quality over quantity. And I know that phrase means a few different things. But regardless, I hope and would like to hope that we're heading the right direction. But having said all of that, I just hope that you guys got something out of this podcast episode where David and I discussed 2024's movie Slate. Uh, you know, if you didn't see David's putting up a shirt that says, have a magical day. Uh, but regardless, uh, I just wanted to state, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. As always, the Mickey blog podcast is brought to you by Mickey travels and new episodes drop every single Friday, not only on audio platforms, but the podcast also drops on YouTube in video format. Uh, so feel free to check us out on YouTube. If you'd like to watch it in video format. Um, and regardless, if you did like this podcast, please hit that like button, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your family. Um, hopefully we can get some more fans of a fun, lighthearted Disney podcast, uh, you know, aboard the, uh, the uh, metaphorical podcast train in 2024. So we appreciate you as always, and we will catch you guys next week. See you later.